Welcome back to WTBU News Today. I'm Stella Lawrence. Boston has been on the cooler side lately with temperatures in the low 60s. Temperatures Tuesday are expected to reach a high of 67 with some wind throughout the day. The rest of the week is looking to climb back into the high 70s with highs of 78 on Wednesday and Thursday. Now we'll move into the Boston University COVID-19 dashboard update. On August 20th, zero members of the Boston University community tested positive for COVID-19. On average, BU's lab took 19.3 hours to process each test. That's the third day in a row that had zero positive tests. In total, 105 members of the BU community have tested positive this fall. 12 are currently in isolation and 71 have recovered from the disease. Ulala Kajioka is here now to report on the future goals of Boston University and how it seeks to achieve them. Boston University released its 2030 strategic plan on Friday. The plan's goal is to create a more community-centered, global, diverse, research-oriented, and academic campus. It has been developed over the past two years by the Strategic Planning Task Force. The design phase of the plan began in August and will continue into next year. A designated sponsor or co-sponsors will be in charge of each of the plan's five initiatives. Another team has been created to also ensure the plan is on schedule. BU hopes that this plan will set the goals and objectives that will be used for future investments and activities. Further information on who will be sponsoring each of the plan's initiatives and the planning process will be available on the new Strategic Plan website, bu.edu slash plan2020- in Boston, Massachusetts, I'm Ulala Kajioka from WTBU News. Joining us now is Megan Forsyth with a housing bill being considered by Massachusetts. Housing advocates are calling on Massachusetts lawmakers to advance a bill filed in late June that would protect tenants facing eviction in Massachusetts for the next year. The bill would put a mandatory pause on evictions and foreclosures, preventing no-fault evictions and evictions due to missed rent because of COVID, and would also prevent rent increases for the 12 months following the state of emergency. The current moratorium on evictions is set to expire on October 17th, after being pushed back from its original August 17th expiration date. Landlords, however, have sued the state, claiming the ban is unconstitutional. The new bill does include a way to help landlords with 15 or fewer units by creating a state fund to offer aid to those unable to pay housing costs due to the pandemic. If the moratorium does expire on October 17th with no replacement, the Massachusetts Housing Court estimates 20,000 eviction cases will be filed. Once again, that was Megan Forsyth for WTBU News. And now we'll head over to Hannah Barron for a story about so-called anarchist cities in the U.S. The Department of Justice classified Seattle, New York City, and Portland, Oregon as, quote, anarchist jurisdictions, end quote, on Monday. This designation emerged as a response to the memorandum President Trump issued earlier this month calling for the review of federal funding issued to cities he believes are promoting anarchy or failing to preserve law and order. The criteria for evaluating each city included whether a jurisdiction has undermined or defunded police departments, denied the assistance of federal law enforcement, or withdrawn police from an area or forbidden police from entering an area, along with any other elements Attorney General William Barr believed relevant to consider. Washington, D.C. was originally included in the memo as well, but was left out of the Justice Department's final report. Local officials have criticized the federal government for aggravating tensions in their cities by encouraging more forceful interactions between police and protesters. The report makes these cities into targets for cuts in federal funding, which Trump has attempted to implement in the past unsuccessfully. 
The new classifications are the latest of the administration's efforts to crack down on turbulent protests for racial justice. Recently, Barr has pushed federal prosecutors to pursue cases against protesters more aggressively. From Boston, Massachusetts, I'm Hannah Barron for WTBU News. I've got your next story, which gives a bit of context about what Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death means for the process of nominating the next justice to fill her seat. Democrats would need to convince four Republican senators to vote against confirming a Supreme Court nominee to replace the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat owing to a fraught history of partisan nomination battles stretching back decades. The reason is the so-called nuclear option, which consists of a change in Senate procedural rules that eliminates the possibility of a filibuster to block nominees. Prior to going nuclear, the Senate majority needed 60 votes for cloture, or the overcoming of a filibuster. In 2013, then-Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, a Democrat, went nuclear by lowering the threshold from a supermajority, 60 votes, to a simple majority, 51 votes, to approve executive branch appointees and federal judges at every level below the Supreme Court. At the time, the Senate Democrats were facing unwavering opposition from the Republican minority on nearly every appointee. In 2017, the Republican Senate majority enacted the nuclear option to lower the 60-vote threshold for Supreme Court nominees in order to overcome Democrats' opposition to the confirmation of Justice Neil Gorsuch. Now, with only 47 seats in the Senate, Democrats need to convince four Republicans to break ranks and vote against confirmation if a vote is brought before the next election or inauguration. Senators Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Susan Collins of Maine, and Mitt Romney of Utah have been cited as potential defectors. In Boston, Massachusetts, I'm Stella Lawrence, reporting for WTBU News. Finally, an update from Aaron Michael about an emergency unfolding in India. Early on Monday, a three-story building on the outskirts of Mumbai, India, collapsed. The building collapsed, killing at least 10 people, according to officials. It is believed that 20 to 25 people are still trapped in the building, which is located 40 kilometers from Mumbai. Emergency workers from the National Disaster Response Force have been working to rescue people. The accident occurred in the city of Bitwandi at approximately 3.40 a.m. local time. The building was on a list of dangerous buildings, and a notice for its occupants to vacate had been given, according to the Times of India. Last month, a five-story building collapsed in Mahad, killing at least 13 people, and according to the National Crime Records Bureau, in 2017, more than 1,200 people died from building collapses nationwide. In Rochester, New York, I am Aaron Michael for WTBU News. That's it for this edition of WTBU News Today. Be sure to tune into our full program every Tuesday and Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern over on WTBU Radio. On behalf of Grace Ferguson, Amanda Schneider, Hannah Yoshinaga, Lily Kepner, and Gabriela Lopez, I'm Stella Lawrence reporting from Boston, Massachusetts for WTBU News.